Go to Romans chapter 8. It's a different service today. Um, Don't have a lot of notes. I'll tell you why. Still teaching, I'm not going to be singing or anything, but it's a different type of lesson. God's given us an opportunity for. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Um, this morning is a call to grace. Um, that God would convict, that he would show us, uh, that he would encourage us to love others better. To show grace more abundantly based off of how Romans 8 has changed us. So we see the good news, we see the gospel, we see who we are as believers. And we're going to be referencing Romans 8 throughout our our time during this different type of uh, personal message, uh, testimonial in ways. But I want Romans 8 to constantly be in your mind um, am I a church goer? Am I a Bible Belt believer? Or have I been transformed by what we read in these verses? This is 31 through 39. <clears throat> the Lord's Word says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, it is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? 35. Highlights. Do whatever you got to do. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are all killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet... In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's go back and um, read 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we thank you for today. Um. Um, it's been a, a, a long week. Um, help, me, help me keep my composure, uh, keep my mind clear, my words strong. Um, let, me, let me cry when this is over, Lord. Um, but be with this service and thank you for David and our musicians and our praise team and our Sunday school teachers and our church, the building, um, your spirit who lives in us. Thank you for the awesome moment we've already had. Let your word 
stand upon itself. Um, All attention off man and all glory be to you. Um, Thank you for Romans 8 and what it does for our lives and our hearts. And I pray that you receive all the glory in the words that I say this morning. In your precious name, amen. Um, I'm going to try my really, really best not to get emotional. Um, I thought I had it all out of me and I'm kind of getting teary-eyed for no reason right now. So it doesn't look good for you guys. Um, I'll try not to make this my therapy couch. So this morning, a different message. This is a call to grace, a call to love. This is a personal word from your pastor. So I want you to to turn your Bibles. This is the only place you'll be, the the only slide that we have. So Celia, no pressure. This is from Exodus 20.12, if you want to flip there. It's a verse that's pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory. We've probably heard it a million times. Kids, don't give your parents trouble. And the fifth command, the only one that comes, or the first one that comes with a, a promise, God says, honor your father and honor your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Now, I am a big believer that the high majority of our time together in Sunday morning, our gatherings, should be really based off a more expository type teaching. And so what I mean by that, I've said this before, I've told you what the word is, and if you're hunter, I don't even know what expository means. It's basically when we go through a book of the Bible and we dissect and we see the gospel that goes through every character, through every sentence, through every verse, through every story, and we start to connect dots that Jesus is very much alive and good from Genesis to Revelation, and you see the, the bird's eye view and the magnitude of God's goodness. And for how I was raised and probably how you were raised and the majority of the Bible Belt, I believe, is you grew up going to church and, and this week we're in James and next week we're in John and the next week we're in Exodus and the next week we're in Revelation. And you've heard a lot of Bible verses and you know a lot of traditional stories, but you don't really know how the Bible fits all together. And so we've seen amazing growth here at Eastview because we've dedicated ourselves to such type of teaching. We saw this in Micah, we saw this in Matthew, we saw this in Peter, we saw this in John and Ecclesiastes and Jude and all of these books of the Bible. And um, the greatest blessing to a pastor and compliment to a church is when people come and they go, man, for the first time in my life, like, like I'm seeing things, I'm connecting dots, there's lines drawn, like I see it, Hunter, and, and man, what a beautiful thing, and I see that in so many of your lives. I think that should be 80, 90% of everything we do here. Now in that, I think there is room for for topical messages. I think in the midst of Matthew, in the midst of Nahum and where we're going, I think there's nothing wrong with three weeks of financial peace. I think there's nothing wrong with, hey, we're going to have a month in April where we teach on the family and how to love each other well. I think there's a time and space for that. I think it's helpful. I just don't think it needs to be the foundation of what we do. 
And in the midst of all of this, one thing that they didn't teach me in seminary and um, no pastor ever told me, uh, God has revealed this and shown me through hardships and correction and blessings and gifts and maturity and ignorance. I believe that there is a time and space where a personal word from your pastor to you um, is very important. I think, I want you to hear my words, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting myself on a, on a pedestal here, that's not what I'm saying here. I think that my position as your pastor, my position, if you're a member here, is extremely important to you. And I don't mean like just the typical, hey, respect the man who's talking, I don't mean that, I don't mean that, even though you should. The link... The link between a shepherd and a sheep, the link between me and Terry and Marty, and the link between me and Joellen and Co. The link between a pastor and a church member, I think, is extremely important. I believe that I will hurt for you guys. And there have been times, guys, where I've resented this church because of it. I'm just going to be real with you. There has been times where I have struggled and I thought to myself, man, I don't know if this is worth it. Like, I don't remember a class in seminary being about this. I just remember Old Testament studies. I don't remember in the midst of systematic theology, you're going to struggle for the blessings of your people. I don't remember that chapter. It doesn't exist. But I believe that God will bless me. I believe that God will reveal in me. I believe that I will struggle in life so I can teach and show you the goodness of God. I believe that. So my link to you, I believe, is important. And I believe that it should not be the basis. It should not even be the 10%, but I believe there is a space where I think that God has given me something. He's pressed on me. He's torn down. He's built up. He has revealed in me to pour into you. I believe that that happens. So I prayed, God, we're between Micah. We were blessed and gifted by Kennedy's word. We're about to go into Easter. We're about to go into Nahum. Where would I be today? And I even told our Wednesday night class where we were going. And I had notes and everything and about how God has grown our mind. It's the Holy Spirit who's revealing things. And we'll get to that at some point. But God continued to press and press and press and press. And I continued to pray. And I couldn't get past this thought of wanting to share a more personal testimonial hopefully helpful word to you from your pastor. Honor your father and honor your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. <clears throat> so a lot of you guys reached out to me um, and I thank you for that. And if you didn't know about it, that's okay. We didn't like publicize it or anything. We didn't take videos for Facebook. But my mom was put into the ICU on um, Sunday. And my mom is 75 years of age, um, lives alone. She, she's buried her husband, my father. We buried my older brother um, six months apart from each other um, within the last seven years. And my mom is 75 years old. God bless her, still teaches school. She's taught school for 50-something years. It's pretty amazing. This teacher, 75, she has a very, very serious and dangerous lung condition. It's basically a death sentence. 
There's no remission. There's no like, well, you've done really well. You've lived 40 years with it. Even 10 years ago, um, the, the quality of life was like four years. And she's lived about 10 years with it. So the doctor told her, like, well, you don't need to be teaching. You don't need to be doing this. Like, if you get COVID, you are gone. Like, I don't even know if you have enough time to get to the doctor. Your lungs will give out so quick. But God's kept her safe. But during the last weekend, she got like 104 fever, got in a small accident because her mind wasn't clear and the fever had gotten to her head, had a wreck, and goes put into the hospital and she had pneumonia. So as I said, very serious lung condition and even today she's still alive, um, God willing, which I'm very thankful for, but her lungs are not going to get better. Her lungs are completely shot. They will not restore. Her breathing is better. There's some good news there. I'll share with you later. But on Monday, I had a little bit of a cough, and this kind of sets the table to the nastiness of my heart and my sin. Um, on Monday, the first day, really, we were able to go to the hospital. My wife went. I didn't. And that kind of sets up the tone of who I am before you. And so my wife comes home, it's the ICU, only one person can go in there. I had a little cough, didn't want to get everybody sick, or that's what I said at least. So my wife goes up there, the doctor comes to my wife around 4 o'clock in the afternoon and says, hey listen, um, we have every machine you can think of hooked up to Miss Jones. Um, she is doing zero breathing on her own. Um, you need to have your husband come up here and say goodbye so so okay so she calls me um <clears throat> I was really good back in my office um so she calls me and she goes hey and she's crying I'm like oh man she's already died because my wife had called me about my brother and my wife called me about my dad and she goes hey the doctor says you need to come so okay so my wife's mother comes and she, she grabs the kids and I get in my truck and um, I'm very emotional on the way to the hospital. And there's two things that are going through my mind, church. Um, and this is where I hope this helps you in some way. One is that it's a very eerie, strange feeling knowing that you're the last one of your family. That's just a weird feeling. I was telling Hunter and Suzanne that earlier. Like I said, I have no grandparents, no other siblings, no other parents. I'm not connected to any cousins and aunts and uncles. Um, it is me and my mom. And even though we are not close, and maybe this is some of your lives, I don't know your story. It's a very strange feeling thinking that when that person, whoever it is, passes, there's nobody else you played Nintendo with when you were little. There's nobody else you read stories with or ran to the tree on Christmas morning. That's a weird feeling, even if you're not close to them. And so one, I had a great deal of just kind of fear and sadness. And then the second one, um, I had a great heavy amount of guilt on um, the type of son I had been to. Um, my mom. So um, uh, it, that was hard. Um, not son of the year by any means. And so personally, I don't, I don't know your family background. I don't know your problems with your mom and your daddy issues. I don't know who you are. But personally, I have had a lot of tension with Exodus 2012. I've had a lot, I've probably distorted it even in my teaching, to be honest with you. 
This whole honor your father and your mother, this word honor would would trip me up a lot. Uh, Maybe it did you too. Because in my mind, honor was something um, that was deserved. Like honor was something that needed to be earned. And when I looked at my family, when I looked at my parents, when I looked at my brother, like when I looked at the Jones family, the, the people who raised me, you didn't earn it. And you don't deserve it. So like, what does this mean to honor your father and your mother? Like, as simple as it is, and as many times it's been taught from VBS to Sunday school classes, honestly, I had no clue. I told you guys before in another personal message that I grew up basically in a lower to middle class um, income family. Um, very unstable, ungodly foundation As my dad got older, I shared with you, um, mental health took over. However, this is what I will say to you. As I've gotten older, I've seen it more clearly. Because I've had a ton of resentment and anger and jealousy and frustration towards my family. My family loved me well. Like they loved me to, well I take that back. They loved me to death but didn't know how to do it well. I was even thinking to myself like last night about how to, how to phrase this. Like I grew up in my environment like desiring the Cosby home and I felt like I got given Roseanne, if that made any sense to you. So I was just looking and you know like even though like I, I don't want to paint a picture that I was abused. People, people have it much worse than I do. Like I just wanted better. Like, I wanted my dad to be different than who he was. I wanted my mom to be different than who she was. I wanted a different family. I wanted a different life. I wanted them to love me better than what they did. So kids, when they realize their surroundings, they have one or two choices, and that's to follow suit or to run. And guys, I ran. And when I ran and I got free reign to run as fast as I could, I ran away from my family as fast and quick and as aggressively as I could. I basically took the blueprint. I'm going to do it the opposite of everything that I see in you. I don't see great work ethic. I'm going to work my tail off. I don't see confidence. I am going to be strong. I see poor character. I'm going to be character driven. And those are good things. They blessed me and blessed my family and blessed whatever I was a part of. Like strong work ethic and confidence and those are great things. But in the midst of making a name for myself, in the midst of maturing, in the midst of becoming a man and a Christian and a father and a husband, in the midst of growing up, I invited sin in my life. And what took form in my heart was pride. And what took form in my heart was selfishness. And what took form in my heart was self-righteousness. Like I ran with this new label that I had. This is how 95% of everyone saw little Hunter Jones. It's like, man, he is really something that came from nothing. That was, my, that was my label. That was my label for my coaches, my teachers, girlfriends, parents, friends, parents, outside family. They all looked at my environment and then they looked at me and they said, man, you are such a fine young man. And I took it. And I said, yeah, I am. 
I wasn't given nothing. No one did anything for me. I've done this all myself. And in the midst of that, the enemy ran into my heart as I opposed my family and invited sin. And just to be honest with you, and this is recent, this is months ago, this is last weekend, I saw my family for nothing more than a burden. And I'm not talking about like, hey, 15 years ago when I was sinful, I'm talking about seven days ago as your pastor. Very few people that I would probably want to be around less than, than my family. My family was an annoyance. We didn't see eye to eye. They frustrated me more than celebrated me. They were a burden. And you can ask my wife and my children, I treated them that way. So my wife calls me, come say goodbye. I walk up, she tag teams me out. I see you, only one at a time. I stand before my mother who cannot open her eyes, who cannot speak, who is literally 100% having machines do everything for her. And I stood there and there was no space for my confidence. There was no space for my arrogance. I had no desire for criticism. I had no desire for jealousy and resentment. There was no space for my pride or self-righteousness. It was just sadness and guilt. I had buried my brother. I had buried my father. And it did not crush me. But as I sat with my last family member in all of my righteousness and all of my sin and pride and selfishness, it flooded me. Guys, you see, self-righteousness will always leave you into loneliness. And if not loneliness, just in the company of other people who are self-righteous. Proverbs 23, 29-23, one's pride will bring him low. But he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. I got in the car after cried more into the hospital. And I got in my truck and my family had already gone and, and I drove home and I was, just, I was just thinking about just my life and what God was revealing and showing me and what am I supposed to do with this? And I felt awful and I felt like this sinful, awful believer and child of my mom and as she dies. And God made this very apparent to me that our pride, our selfishness, and self-righteousness is only a self-reflection of our spiritual immaturity. That all of our judgment, all of our criticism, our refusal to show grace is just spiritual immaturity. I think that's why you see it in so many young people. And when I say young people, I mean under 50. Like the light bulb goes off and we see the Lord and we see ourselves, but we see everybody else. And here comes our judgment and here comes our criticism and here comes our pride and here comes our self-righteousness and we're alone in it. I've taught 
I've said, I've read, I've memorized Exodus 20, 12. It's pretty simple. Kids, don't be a headache to your parents. But do you know what this word honor actually means in the fifth command? I didn't know this at all. It doesn't mean to admire. It doesn't mean to follow. It doesn't mean to smile in abuse. It doesn't mean any of that. The word admire in the early Greek and Hebrew interpretation literally means to understand the weight of their position. Which in other words is just a calling to spiritual maturity to show grace in a position that you might not fully understand. That maybe my dad was not as awful as I said that he was, but maybe he didn't know how to deal with a father who committed suicide at age 19. And maybe my mom was not equipped to lead a family and two young boys by herself. Maybe Exodus 5 is not embrace hardship in an image that you might not like and want to follow. Maybe it is just a challenge and call and command to show grace to a position that you might not fully grasp or have lived in. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7 it says, But as you excel in everything... In faith and speech and knowledge and all the earnestness in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace to others as well. I treated my mom, I treated my dad, and I treated my brother based off of their decisions. I treated my mom, I treated my father, and I treated my brother based on what they failed to do for me, not based off who Jesus is in Romans 8 and the spirit that lives inside me. And the reality is, guys, I am something that came from nothing. Very much so. And as believers, you are as well. But what I did in my life, I removed God for being my something and then pride and self-righteousness and a lack of grace and evilness and wickedness flooded into my life. And in the midst of, I have arrived and I have done these things on my own. I don't need you. I don't want you. I'm better than you. You frustrate me and you are a burden. My lack of grace and pride, I was ineffective in my calling to teach, to live out, and to share the gospel with the people who raised me. Guys, listen to me. I have traveled this world sharing the gospel like to different countries that don't speak our languages and holes that you can't imagine. I've been a pastor for over 15 years. I've adopted and I have miserably failed to show grace to the people who raised me. And I slept fine because I justified my actions and my lack of grace towards them because I felt like they deserved it. You didn't love me the way that I thought you should. You weren't who I desired. Your beliefs and your theology and your mind and your heart is so backwards. You're a burden to me. And in the midst of all of that, I was so ineffective to the people who were probably closest to me. I want to share something with you. I believe God has used me in some pretty amazing, awesome ways. 
my family has never looked at me in that light. And when I say family, I don't mean my kids and my wife. My mom and dad and brother never saw that light of me. I failed in that area. And I have been given an opportunity, and this is why I want to share this with you. Right now, my, my mom is alive. I said goodbye on Monday, and I got to see her on Tuesday. She's still alive, and I've been able to love her well. Just to be honest with you, for you guys that are, have broken relationships, and this same message applies to really any relationship. This doesn't even have to be family and parents, but for any of you guys that have torn relationships, you have friends that are burdened, family that's burdened, children, parents, whatever it is in your life, this has been the best time and the only time I have probably loved my mother well since I was a little child. The last six days. I did not take this opportunity with my dad. I buried him beforehand. I did not take this opportunity with my brother. I buried him beforehand. But God has given me an opportunity and he has shown me grace to hopefully correct my mistakes and to show grace to my mother for the first time in over 30 years. Like I believe, and not everybody likes these types of messages, and it's okay, but I'm standing up here, you're not. I believe and I desire better for you because I love you. And I believe that this link is extremely important. And I believe that God will show me things to be faithful and to show you. I've miserably failed in that area. But God has given me grace. And he has given me an opportunity to love my mother well before I bury my last family member. I do not want you to stand above graves self-righteous and lonely, prideful and destructive, and our refusal to honor, consider, and to show grace, just showing our family, showing our friends, showing the Lord of our lack of depthness in how Romans 8 has actually infiltrated us. Scripture tells us that people will see that God is real in how we treat others. My family never saw that. My wife saw it. You saw it. People in Haiti saw it. My mother, my father, and my brother never saw it. Scripture tells us that we are to be image bearers, to be light bearers, that we should show grace because we have been given grace. Last night is, um, and I really didn't want to give this message. I told my wife in bed last night at 11 o'clock, I really am uncomfortable and don't want to do this. <laughs> and uh, my wife encouraged me to continue, and mostly because I had no other notes. I turned all the lights off last night. I don't know who you are, and this might fall on deaf ears, and I don't know your situation. <sighs> but I have fought my parents and my family for more years than I haven't. And as my wife was in bed and my kids were in bed and I was turning off all the lights, locking the doors, I sat down in my office and I just prayed for you. 
I prayed for the visitors that were coming um, and confused by this message. I prayed for our women, our men, our children. I prayed for you that you do not stand before graves guilty. Hating that you did not show grace to your loved ones. Hating that you did not love the people that God has given you. That you stuck to your pride and your resentment and your self-righteousness and now you are given loneliness. I would pray that in grace that we would be effective and not ineffective in your self-righteousness. And I would pray with the relationships that you have been given that he would receive glory in your love, humility, and grace. That Romans 8 would change the way you saw other people. As we close here, you know, in verses 12, this is the first command and really any in the Ten Commandments that ends with a promise that your days will be long. Consider, show grace, love, be understanding, be image bearers to your father and to your mothers, that your day may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Now you can read that in a lot of different ways. Um, you can read it as you're, getting, you're given a hundred years if you do so, and I don't think that's reality. I think it's an image of a life of peace in the absence of guilt. I have said a lot of shameful things that I would be embarrassed if you heard to my parents. And yesterday, Saturday afternoon, I was up there by myself with her. Um, she can't open her eyes and she could barely talk. And she looked at me and she said, Hunter, I am so thankful that you are taking care of me. I, I was scared to death that I was going to die alone. And she said that for a few reasons, because it's a scary moment that she's in, but also because I probably gave her um, the impression that I wouldn't be there. And in that moment, as I said, church, all of my, all of my sin and my pride and my hurt feelings and my frustration and my upbringing all of my resentment and criticism and pride and self-righteousness, all of it was gone for the first time in my life, 40 years old, first time in my life I wanted to be there. And that's weird. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be by her side. I wanted to pray with her. I wanted her to see me in that light for the first time in my life. That image of peace and the absence of guilt was given to me. As we pray here, the image of Romans 8 of who Jesus is, how his spirit has transformed our lives is literally how we define hope and grace and mercy. And our understanding of Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians, the gospel, is how we treat others, how we show grace to the people around us. 
as I pray for whoever that relationship is in your life, find the altar, find a phone, get in the car before lunch, love the people God has given you well. Love the people who God has given you well. Not because they've earned it. Not because they deserve it. In the same way, in the same light, we have been given grace. We desire to give grace to others. Power hits. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the position that I have. Lord, I thank you for the moment that you give me week in and week out to expose myself um, in my strengths and then also in my nastiness. Lord, I fail daily and I want this church to see it. I love them and I pray that that your creation in me, that I, that I live a life for them to follow, but I, I also want them to see my imperfections. I want them to see my nastiness and wickedness in, in which leads to repentance. I want them to see this. There's enough broken relationships in this room to preach a revival on. For the people that live in burdensome relationships and broken ties in loneliness, in resentment, and anger, let us consider grace. Let us consider the grace which has been poured in freely to us as born-again creation so that we can pour the same grace into the people around us. Because we did not earn, we do not deserve, we love people the same. Forgive me, for all of my sin, forgive me for all of my failure, forgive me for all of my ineffectiveness. Keep me strong, be with my mother, <clears throat> and thank you. Thank you for the moment. Thank you for the moment, even if it's for a day. Thank you for the moment you have given me personally to love her well. In your precious name, amen.